0: You're listening to the Oldham Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to 30 Days of Stories on the Underground Railroad in Kentucky, produced by the Oldham County History Center. I'm your host, Nina Bonney. I'm a volunteer for the Oldham County History Center and on the Board of Directors. The Underground Railroad refers to the efforts of enslaved African-Americans to gain their freedom by escaping bondage. Wherever there were enslaved African-Americans, there were people eager to escape. The first step on the Underground Railroad began when the freedom seekers stepped away from the place where they were enslaved. A home, a farm, a field, a steamboat. Many freedom seekers began their journey unaided, following the North Star, and many completed their self-emancipation without assistance. But each decade leading up to the Civil War in the United States, where slavery was legal, there was an increase in active efforts to assist escape. Kentucky became the best option available for fugitives to escape from Tennessee, Alabama, and other southern states, including Kentucky, because of the 664-mile border of the Ohio River, allowing for more potential to reach the free soil of Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio. Kentucky became central to slave escapes by virtue of its physical and political geography. For that reason, Kentucky and the states along its northern border became central to the Underground Railroad, a battle where freedom was tested and stories of courage and sacrifice were made. Our guest reader today is Anne Hagedorn. Anne Hagedorn is the award-winning author of five narrative nonfiction books. She was born in Dayton, Ohio. She grew up first in Dayton, then Kansas City, and Cleveland. Travel always seemed to be a part of her life. At various times, she lived in Detroit, Chicago, Ann Arbor, San Francisco, Lawrence, Kansas, Brooklyn, and Greenwich Village, and now resides in Ripley, Ohio. As a journalist, Ann was a staff writer for the Wall Street Journal, the New York Daily News, and the San Jose Mercury News. Several of her stories appeared on the front page. She has taught writing as an adjunct professor or visiting scholar at Northwestern University's Medal School of Journalism, Columbia University's Graduate School of Journalism, Xavier University, and Miami University. She holds an MA in Journalism from Columbia University University an M.S. in Information Science from the University of Michigan, and a B.A. in History from Denison University. In 2009, she received an honorary doctorate in Humane Letters from Denison University. Tagerduin's book, Beyond the River, The Untold Story of the Heroes of the Underground Railroad, abolishes myths surrounding the Underground Railroad, especially the one about slaves being passive victims. It hails unsung heroes, free blacks and whites, men and women, who are active in the underground and suggests that blacks and whites work closely together in the underground movement along the Ohio River. When not writing, reading, or teaching, she is mentoring students, bicycling, or playing the violin or concertino. On today's pod- podcast... Anne will be reading from her book, Beyond the River, the true story of Eliza Harris, that was fictionalized in Harriet Beecher Stowe's Uncle Tom's Cabin, The Real Eliza Harris.
0: Chapter 14, Waves Break on Either Shore. On a blustery night in late February, 1838, somewhere across the river from Ripley, Ohio, the ice was breaking under the weight of an animal's body. Or was it the body of a human? The man standing on the banks of the Ohio side, near the mouth of Red Oak Creek, wasn't exactly sure what was causing the sound he heard. His gun at his side, his ears primed to every discernible sound, his body wrapped in several coats to brace against the chill of the river winds. Chauncey Shaw had roamed these banks nearly every night since the river froze on February 22nd, waiting, hoping, and listening for the sounds he was now hearing, the telltale sounds of the struggle of a slave escaping across the river. Slave catchers like Shaw knew that when the river froze, the temptation for slaves to cross the icy quote-unquote road to freedom was something too great to resist. Like the buzzards crisscrossing the sky above the river, a manhunter scouted the banks at night, watching the spots where skips had landed runaway slaves in the past, and waiting, waiting, waiting. Skilled in the treachery of slave catching, Shaw was confident that patience would be rewarded. Up to $500 for a fugitive slave captured on the Ohio side. But on this night, the ice had begun to thaw. He knew the odds were slim, that his waiting would earn him any reward. Quote, all the boys in town had been down on the slow ice that very afternoon. They knew the ice was rotten, with air holes and cracks extending almost across the entire river unquote, John Rankin, Jr. wrote later of that night. What slave would be desperate enough to try to cross on a night like this? Still, the cracking and splashing echoed back and forth against the snow-encrusted hills of both shores, and the sounds grew louder and louder. Then came the baying of the hounds, the voices of men in pursuit, the desperate crying out of a woman. This was it, Shaw knew, the long-awaited catch. His pace quickened to nearly a run as he moved along the bank, tracking the sound, in an effort to target the exact place the slaves might land. Crossing the river from the other shore was a slave woman who belonged to a, a farmer a few miles south of Dover, Kentucky, on the river, just five or so miles from Ripley. She had fled upon learning that a slave dealer had been meeting with her master about the sale of his slaves, including her two-year-old child. From that moment, freedom seemed as necessary as drawing breath. There was no going back. She knew two facts: that the river had been frozen for at least a week, and that a white man who lived on a hill back of Ripley was known to help fugitive slaves. The next night... She left her home with her child and ran north through the woods to a place called Stony Point. There, an old white man took her into his cabin and fed her. She told the man of her plan to cross the river to freedom. No one, he told her, had been on the ice for the past few days, as far as he had been able to see. The river had thawed for at least the first eight feet from the shore and the strength of the ice in the middle was doubtful. If she did not drown, she would freeze to death, he warned her, and her baby would die with her. She listened until the faint sound of dogs barking with an all-knowing look between the two of them. Sensing that she was unstoppable, the man quickly wrapped her baby in a woolen shawl, rushed them outside, and tore a rail from his own fence for her to use as support if she broke through the ice. Then as the barking grew louder, he took the mother and child to a path that led to the river. She followed the path and plunged down the bank just as the dogs broke from the woods nearby. With panic as her only guide, she ignored what the old man had told her, stepped upon a patch of rotten ice several feet into the river and quickly, Stumbled into the icy water up to the top of her ankle-high shoes. For seconds, the freezing water seemed to paralyze her resolve. Then she heard the voices of her pursuers and the din of barking dogs grow louder and louder. Before her lay the freezing water and the darkness of the unknown. Holding the rail in one hand and her child in the other, She moved forward in the shallow water until she hit upon the ice, which for several feet grew firmer as she walked. The dogs and the men were searching the banks for her, still unaware that she was daring them to cross the river. She moved quickly and silently. Then the ice broke through with a loud, popping sound, the sound that Shaw undoubtedly had heard. So did the men behind her. As she fell into the now deep waters she threw the child onto the ice ahead and used the rail for support. Working her way to the firm ice again she found her baby so partially wrapped in the blanket which was now wet with the soft flush of melting ice. She scrambled to her feet again and pushed forward running across the ice. Still ahead of her pursuer, she sensed that the other side was near, that it never seemed to come. A third time she fell and, saved by the rail, climbed back out. So cold and exhausted was she now that she let go of the rail that three times had saved her. She was only feet from the shore. When she came upon the land, she collapsed onto the frozen ground, and just as she was beginning to stand again, a hand emerged in the darkness and seized her arm. With her child clinging to her, she sank helplessly to the ground, a feeling of defeat washing over her, as if drowning in the anxiety of her entire race. Courage gone, with fear seeping through her like the water saturating her clothes, she lay on the ground and groaned in despair as if responding, the child cried. And at that moment, the hand released her and a voice out of the darkness said, quote, any woman who has crossed that river carrying her baby has won her freedom, After hours of patrolling the Ohio shore, hunting for runaway slaves in the discomforting chill of winter, Shaw had found his catch, arrested for assault at least twice, and known to drink too much, too often, Shaw was not given to expressions of kindness and compassion. But this night, he showed another side. He forsook the master's goal that awaited him. He helped the woman to her feet, picked up the baby, threw the wet, cold shawl upon the ground, and took the woman by the hand. Rushing through the streets and alleys of Ripley, he watched the shadows. Worrying he might collide with one of the men he knew so well, the men with whom he swapped stories of, quote, unquote, coon hunting on both sides of the river. Listening for sounds in a way he had never done before, he took her to the edge of the village, to the bottom of the steep hill. And then he pointed up, telling her that the man who lived at the top of the hill could help her. The doors to the red brick house would be unlocked, he told her, and the man's dogs were trained not to bark at, quote, unquote, niggers. No nigger was ever caught that got to his house, Shaw told her very explicitly. It was late in the night when she arrived at the Rankin home. The door was unlocked the Shaw had said, and a fire was in the hearth. Within minutes, she was poking the fire as she watched Jean Rankin sorting through a pile of clothes in search of flannel underwear she had made herself, a plaid dress that was her own, and a pair of helmet socks. John Rankin entered the room, called two of his boys downstairs, and then commenced to listen to the woman's story of crossing the ice. John Rankin, Jr. later recalled that night, quote, I was roused by father calling up the stairs for Calvin and myself. I had answered that call too many times, not to know what it meant. Fugitive slaves must be downstairs. Ahead of us was a long walk across the hills in the dead of a night under a the cold winter sky, followed by the long, cold walk back home, which must be made before daybreak. So we were in no pleasant mood when we came downstairs. Seated before the fire was a woman with her baby in her arms and a pile of wet woman's clothes on the hearthstone. Father, who was standing on one side of the fireplace, said to us, she's crossed the river on the ice, One of us exclaimed she couldn't. But she did, he continued. There we were, mother, father, Calvin, and myself, looking down at the woman and her baby as she sat in the glowing light of the fire. How little did we know that this courageous mother, who though now unknown, was to stir the hearts of a nation. While she was safe enough for the moment, as a matter of fact, danger was imminent as long as she remained with us. So when the mother and baby were warm, well-fed and somewhat wrecked, we prepared to resume the flight to Canada. Long before daylight, she must be hidden safely, farther back from the river. As Calvin was older, it fell to his lot to carry the baby while the mother and I fell in behind. Our trail led over the hills, way down the bank of Red Oak Creek, which we waited and then came to the unlocked door of the Reverend James Gilliland, a Scotch Presbyterian minister of Red Oak Chapel. This was the manse into which we now entered without knocking. The light, fire, and food were there waiting. Here we turned over our fugitives. That we <clears throat> wisely and cautiously guiding our charges across the hill, we were forcibly brought to our minds before we reached home. For as we were crossing a bridge on our way back, one of the white patrols stepped out from a deep shadow and spoke to us. We knew the man very well. We knew what he was about. When we asked what he was doing out so late, he characteristically answered, quote, coon hunting, unquote. At home, we found father and mother both up. Father was deeply wrought over the affair. I hope she gets away, I hope she gets away, as John Rankin Jr. later recalled his father's saying, The woman and her child spent the following day sequestered in the Gilliland home at Barrow Creek. That night, one of his sons took her to the home of Dr. Greenleaf Norton in Decatur, Ohio. From there, she was taken to a Quaker home near Sardinia, Ohio. And then to confuse and avert her pursuers who were still hunting her down, she was guided all the way to the home of the Quaker, quote unquote, conductor Levi Coffin in Newport, Indiana, six miles west of the Ohio border. Eventually, she and her child would arrive in Chatham, Ontario. And one day she would return to Rankin's home on a quest to bring the rest of her family out of Kentucky. A year or so later, as John Rankin Jr. again recounted, his father was visiting one of his brothers who was a student at Lane Seminary in Cincinnati. Quote One Sunday afternoon, father called upon Professor Stowe at Lane. And there, in the presence of Harriet Peters Stowe, father told of the flight of the slave mother and her child crossing the Ohio River on the ice. Harriet was greatly moved by the narrative, explaining from time to time, terrible, how terrible, unquote. So moved was she that she would later use the slave woman's story to model the character Eliza in her book Uncle Tom's Cabin. John Rankin Jr. would again later write, quote, so far as we were concerned, it was only another incident of many of a similar character. Strange how this unknown fugitive mother figured into the history of this country. She had no name, no monument directed to her. We two boys had helped to make history, and we were deaf, dumb, and blind to its magnificence. and opinions expressed on this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of the Oldham Chamber and Economic Development Office.